You're listening to The OK Show, a podcast brought to you by The Current. Everybody's got their something. We all are crazy. <laughs> like, we're all crazy, and it's okay to be crazy. Um, so let's all talk about it so we can be less crazy. As people who struggle with mental health issues, that's like the most common feeling. But I think that there has to be a point where you allow yourself to be vulnerable, be sad, be hurt. Even if it's a sad subject matter, there's something that's really life-affirming in that process of listening to music that moves you. How about we all stay alive so you can continue to make great music? How about we all just stay alive? How's it going? You're listening to The OK Show. My name is Andrea Swenson, and this is a podcast where real musicians talk about their real lives from Minnesota Public Radio's The Current. So today's episode feels really special to me because I've been listening to this artist's voice and songs for almost as long as I can remember listening to music. I was introduced to his work by my mother, who is a huge fan. I can still remember her playing Hollywood Town Hall every Saturday while we did chores around the house. I eventually developed my own relationship with the music, going to see them at First Avenue the first chance I got, and buying up everything that he has done solo or with other projects ever since. I am talking about Gary Lewis, the frontman for the Jayhawks. There's always been something very comforting to me about listening to the Jayhawks, even when their songs speak to sadness and loneliness. And there's always been something about Gary Lewis's voice that hints at something deeper and lonelier than we could ever imagine. His voice has a vulnerability to it that makes the listener feel like he's doing this dance with darkness, standing at the edge of an abyss, hoping the lightness will eventually win out. I wanted to talk to Gary about this to figure out if I was just imagining it and to learn more about that struggle between light and dark that is at the core of so much of his work. I first got the idea to invite him onto the OK Show because he's been remarkably open and candid about his recent experiences with addiction, getting support, and getting clean. I did my best to keep it together while a member of the Jayhawks, a band I have literally been listening to since I was 10 years old, sat across from me in my home and shared his personal struggles with me. I've been doing this podcast for a while now, but people's willingness to do this with me still kind of blows my mind. So if I sound a little awestruck in this one, that's why. Here it is, The OK Show, Episode 18, a conversation with Gary Lewis of the Jayhawks. Well, hello, Gary. Hello, Andrea. Thanks for coming over today and talking to me. Um, I have been a fan of the Jayhawks. Well, I've been... I should say I even started before I was a fan. My mom was a fan of the yes. Jayhawks, and it was in my house um, even before I knew that you were here in Minnesota or knew anything about your band. So um, you've been very candid in recent years about your um, sobriety journey. But even before that, I felt drawn to your music because I feel like a lot of your lyrics either hint at or 
um, directly address depression, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that uh, I have an intimate knowledge of myself. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about um, if you feel comfortable, your history with experiencing depression and then um, the decision to kind of address it in your music. Well, yeah, I've always been drawn to the melancholic kind of uh, music ever since I was young. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean I don't like to rock, and but I'm not so much into party music uh, as I am more reflective music or introspective music. Yeah, I think as a kid, I've, I think I've always been, had a bit of a depression issue, but I wasn't really that um, aware of it until my later in my life. There's always a bit of a feeling as an, uh, like an outsider or... Mm-hmm anxiety and but I always dealt with it and I didn't really have um, huge issues until later I think and uh, and then I kind of discovered through I had some kind of medical issue and I I discovered uh, morphine Ah. and and then through that opiates through so I I found that 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 was around 2003 I found that the you know like the opiate made me feel like normal. It didn't mm. sedate me like some people. You know, drugs affect people differently. I felt finally okay, you know, and uh, and then it just escalated over a period of about uh, nine years. And then when that got out of control, then drinking and then, you know, codependency, lots of things looking for some solution outside of yourself. Right. Um, it took a real big fall for me to kind of shake out of it. I, I found journals of I'd written. I'm not a big journal writer, but I found things I had written back in the 90s, late 90s, really admiring people who were straight, you know, mm. uh, as far as drugs and alcohol are concerned. And uh, I think I had wanted it for a long time, but I just didn't know how to get there. Interesting. And uh, so uh, I had a pretty low bottom as they say in the business you know and uh suicidal and just wanting to end it all and all that kind of stuff and uh, i'm here to say that there's always hope because uh i i got help uh, i went to treatment i came out of it and uh it's it's not been perfect i've had to deal with as they always say, life doesn't really change, just you do. So, hmm. you know, I deal with things now where yeah. I used to always sweep them under the rug and put them off till later and not want to face or confront things. I think that's the biggest thing. I've kind of grown up and I'm kind of an adult and, and deal with responsibilities. Yeah, I find that growing up in Minnesota, especially, it's easy to just not deal with things head on. I think culturally really? here we... We're okay with avoiding negative stuff, <laughs> which yeah, is part of the some reason. suppression that seems to be common in the uh, Scandinavian kind of world. I think uh, tend to be sometimes a little bit more repressed than in yeah. other cultures, but that's a sweeping generalization. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I can only speak for my own experiences. But I grew up in northern Minnesota, and it was very Lutheran. <laughs> Yes. And very, um, yeah, we we're very good at avoiding things. Well, depression is definitely not religion or uh, ethnic specific, but it's true. Uh, true. Uh, there is a certain disposition you, people seem certain people seem to have, and uh, uh, yeah. I had it. Yeah. I, I have it. Uh, it's not in the past. Stumbling. 
There's a lyric that's been going through my head uh, as I was getting ready to talk to you today. Uh, one of my favorite Jayhawk songs, Stumbling Through the Dark. I was wondering if you could tell me specifically where that song came from. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. You know, I tend to write things, and I've talked to some other writers about this. Many times I write, I just sing what comes out. I I have writ, filled books with lyrics, idea, lyrical ideas, and... They tend to be not as good as the ones when I just uh, start singing things. Mm. And uh, there's all kinds of tricks uh, of uh, the trade, I guess. Uh, Singing things and then listening back and figuring out what you said, even if you can't quite hear what they said. A lot of times the sounds of the words dictate the words. Yeah. You know, certain vowels and things hit certain notes in a certain way. Um, I know what it means. A lot of times I... Most of the time, I figure out what I'm singing about uh, backdoor later. Uh, and it's almost eerie. Hmm. It can be almost predicting things that happened or things that I realized were deep down inside me. I'm sure stumbling through the dark is uh, a lot about going through life, not knowing what you're doing. I think I find it comforting because you say everybody's stumbling through yeah, the dark. Yeah, everybody's stumbling through the dark. It's uh, it was my uh, also an attempt at getting a very kind of classic pop song, a la like the Left Bank, which is uh-huh. the band I loved. A lot of my songs tend to be cut and paste. I do that also. I'll cut things out of newspapers, magazines, things to give me a little uh-huh. little jump start with titles. And then mix them all up, you know, anything mm-hmm. to get from the straight. John met Mary, and they went to the to the park, and blah blah blah. Where it gets very, then you start thinking what happens next. And some people are great at it. Yeah, you know, story songs. It's just not my deal. I like things with spaces in between that people fill it in and has multiple meanings. Do you feel like uh, you experience catharsis or any kind of? Um relief from the day-to-day struggles of life as you're making the music and if so when does that come into the process oh yeah definitely well i think uh it without it i think i would go nuts because i would i'm one of those people who think too much and so it can be very depressing to just get up every day and do the same thing and think what am i doing why am i doing this right so music kind of saves me in that respect Hmm. i like that as I mentioned, I, f- I feel a deep connection to the Jayhawks music because it explores the dark territories, but it doesn't bring me down in any way. It actually comforts me to a great deal. It, you know, I think you just have to address that, that side of life and then um, process it and balance it and not wallow. I, I don't think our music is about wallowing. Right. Because um, there's always somebody out there who has it worse, and that's not a... I don't want that to be a comfort, but um, I think the most uh, rewarding thing about doing what I do is when people come up and tell me, you know, your, your music saved me, or your music helped me when my brother was going through chemo, or, you know, uh, we played it at my mother's funeral, or at, at our wedding, or, you know, uh, those kind of things make you realize that maybe I picked the right profession, you know. I haven't had the 
greatest track record with myself as far as personal life, but I think more than ever now when I sing, especially the new songs, I really feel like I need them. I need these songs. Mm. I need to, to sing these songs, and uh, in it, certain ways it's, it's really helping me to, more than ever. Yeah. That's something I wonder about when you sing about something that's rooted in maybe a specific moment or a hardship that you've faced, and then you have to sing it over and over and over again. I'm glad to hear that it's a positive experience. For well, you. there are some songs that are very, uh, I'm a fairly emotional person, and there are some songs that are specific to certain people or certain moments that are kind of painful. Took a walk down Paramount, I see better days. Left behind a friend of mine. I've seen better days Passed by a statue of St. Augustine in prayer Except for one, the only one I turned my back on her So you mentioned 2003 as being kind of a turning point with substance use. Were you aware at the time that it was helping with your depression? Was that some like a dot that you were connecting or is that something that you've kind of figured out? Looking I think back? I figured it out a lot. I don't know if I really thought of it as a antidepressant. I just felt good and uh, felt like I could. It took a while for it to ramp up, mm. you know, but it was there. Yeah. So how does that affect your ability to create as throughout the years and through your different uses of substances and then not? Well, I grew to hate music. Huh. Because I thought it was the cause of it. I thought, oh, I picked the wrong career. It's just, you know, it's... Uh, uh, for one thing, being a, a musician, it, it, it presents you with a, a a way of life that's very different than most people. It's the only job I can think of where they, whoever is employing you that night, sets up a full bar right. and says, what do you want? How do, how, how do you want to uh, mess yourself up before you go to work? Right. Because it's the cliched tortured artist, you know, need to loosen up and uh, and I, I for a while I just really didn't like music. I didn't like uh, I blamed it for a lot of my problems. I'm amazed that I did any work, um, but I did because I was still very functioning and uh, I always showed up and I got things done. But mm. uh, I don't know if I did my best work. So it got worse as time went on, and uh, uh, I mean, it still comes in spurts sometimes for me, but I started thinking, well, that's what you're supposed to do to, to write, is to be effed up, you know? Mm -hmm. and, um, and that was my, I had, used to say, oh, that's a poor man's zen, you know, if I had a hangover or, you know, whatever, it freed me up. But, you know, I found that uh, it wasn't helping. And uh, towards the end of it, I was uh, I went out on tour so, on a solo tour, and I was falling down, and mm. I was repeating songs on stage, and I was just uh, luckily I called this uh, friend who got me in touch with something called uh, Music. What is it? I'm gonna have to stop and think about this. Music cares. Music cares. Oh. A wonderful guy named Howard out in L.A., and they sent me to treatment. You know, and. Uh, I was just ready. You have to be ready. Yeah. And I was so ready it wasn't even funny. So um, 
So now it's been over three years, three and a quarter years, and it's funny that this should come up because I haven't really worked what they call the program, people mm. at AA, you know, and I am now working it because I haven't struggled with wanting to use, and I've gone through. I had a girlfriend who committed suicide. I've, oh, no. I've had all kinds of issues with other things, just like people do, you know, and I haven't used, but I realize I've been kind of on the fringe, so I've kind of dedicated myself because one thing you learn when you do get sober is that there are other people out there in the world. You, you turn yourself from looking inside to looking out and going, oh, I'm just focusing on myself, and that's where you get into trouble. So mm-hmm. it changed the way I played. And I, I, I'm actually much more comfortable on stage, straight. And I also uh, approach the music differently. I know this sounds a little bit holier than thou, but I used to go out on stage thinking, what can I get from the audience? How can I get pumped up? How yeah. can I get that high of, of feeling good about myself? And now I go on stage, and you know, I still want some of that. I'm human. <laughs> but I, I try to go on stage and see how can I help the audience feel better Mm. and um, that's a big shift Uh, also for writing it seems like the clarity has been better for me Uh, I haven't missed you know using to 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 write yeah Uh, I feel like my writing's gotten better I have plenty of dark places to go without using and um, still mine that territory you know after I got sober or clean I guess I still identify more with drugs and things like that but I really I really tried to reboot myself and say what do I really want to do mm. and for quite a while I thought I didn't want to do the Jayhawks I mean there's a certain element a certain side of me that always wants to say well we're not going to be that older aging band that's uh you know, we're going to make them miss us, you know, we're going to go away. And uh, and I really thought that I wanted to get away from the Jayhawks and really, not because of anybody personally, but I thought I needed to redefine myself. But without that structure of the band, when the life life is your, your oyster, mm. and I'm one of those people that can be very confused by options, I could go to Spain and record. I could go with my friend. I know a lot of people from being in the business for so long. Yeah. The music business, I know people everywhere. I know more people out of town than I do here. I right. don't I really know that many people here. Hmm. Um, so I could, you know, had opportunities to go record with other bands, other musicians, other artists, other you know, other studios in other states, other countries. And it's like I got I kind of froze. And I'm like, I don't know what. I want to do and then you know and and things weren't really coming songs were coming but I finally realized that the Jayhawks were really still a huge part of me and even if I could find a place for the Jayhawks in my life it would still not discourage me from doing all the other things I wanted to do and I had the opportunity to work with these amazing musicians who I love, we're family. Yeah. And uh, if I wanted to get way outside and do something where I'm taking recordings off the radio and twisting them with an omnicord and through a synthesizer, I could do that um, on a side project or whatever. And uh, I took all these demos that I had made and took the songs that I thought were most Jayhawkian 
and uh, like and had everyone kind of process it through their own beings and uh, made it made them Jayhawk songs. And then we took other ideas uh, and uh, germs or seeds and kind of developed them as a band. And actually, I don't really like the word jam, but we jammed and recorded everything and became a band again. As soon as I stepped in the studio, I knew this. I just knew it. I knew this is the place we were supposed to be at this time. And it doesn't happen all the time. If you work hard, what you want does happen. It just doesn't happen on the schedule you, you had envisioned. a record of mine the other day by a band called Safety Last. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was really, uh, I'd, I'd had it for years and I'd listened to it when I got it and then I pulled it out again recently and it just made me think more about kind of your origins here in the cities. Um, tell me a little bit more about your time in that band. Well, you know, I came to Minneapolis from Toledo, Ohio in 73 to go to college I have an unusual trajectory in the fact that I wasn't in a band till I was like 26. Mm. I wasn't hadn't written a song till my early 20s, probably early to mid 20s. I had played music, but always on my own, and uh, I didn't know how. To, I was so shy. I didn't know how to meet people and go to. Most people's careers are over by then, you know. So yeah, I started really late, and uh, I was an architecture major. I I graduated from the U when I was an architect for nine years. Really? So, yeah, some of the time overlapped while I was with the Jayhawks. So um, I did that for quite a while, but I was still tr- I knew that really music was what I really loved, and I felt better at, at that than anything. It came easily to me. So uh, I finally fell in with these guys through some connection and uh, started writing, trying to write some songs for Safety Last, and then when they needed a guitar player... I stepped in, and it was my first time, really. Wow. That's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I really listened to the beginnings of you being in a band. Yeah, really. There's there's an old footage of, I think it was called Seven Nights at the Seven Street Entry or something like that, film footage. And there's footage of me the first time really on stage. Cool. And I think I broke all the strings on my guitar on one song, so... It was a little, little crazy night. So what are some of your memories of getting on stage for the first time? What was it like to be in front of people and to be performing? Did, would you get nervous? Yes, I would get nervous. But you'll find musicians in general are shy people. And being on stage is a way for them to be around a lot of people without really being with them. Because there's that separation of the stage hmm. uh, that separates the audience from the performer. Here you are surrounded by people, but you still don't have to exactly be with them. There's a little bit of a barrier. Right. And so, uh, but I also loved it, you know, so uh, now I I don't really have any fear of performing. That's good. I'm glad to hear that it goes away. (laughs) It goes away. I'm trying to relate that to my son, but, you know, it's... uh, it comes with time, I'm afraid. Yeah. To, it, it gets to a point where you just have to say, I don't care what people think of yeah. me anymore. I mean, I don't want to, 
be selfish or, or just be dismissive of, of other people, but you can't sit and worry about, you get to a point where you accept yourself and say, this is who I am, take me or leave me. That's something I've been thinking about a lot lately as I turned 32 years ago. And I feel like that was kind of a turning point in many ways um, of just kind of having new perspective and new maturity level. And that is such a great relief to realize, like, it actually doesn't matter what anybody thinks about what I'm doing or how I act or what my voice sounds like or anything. Like, it really, at the end of the day, it doesn't affect me at all. Like, that's their problem. <laughs> well, I still care about those things, but I find that worrying about it just gets in the way of, of achieving that. You know, just yeah. a, uh, fear in general doesn't do anything for, for, for performing. Right. You know, and uh, after a while, you just have to say, it helps having done it a long time. But I thought being sober would make it more difficult, and it's it's actually amazing that it doesn't. It mm. makes it easier. What has it been like for you to speak openly about your experiences in your personal life? You did that Hazelfest um, a couple mm-hmm. years back, and I know you did some interviews around that time. Um, did you get feedback from people, or what was that Yes, I did, like? yeah. Uh, and I wish I need to do more of that. It's, it's funny because just... In the last two weeks or so, I've rededicated myself to the program. Uh, I'm one of those people who didn't really, because I didn't struggle, I haven't really done what some people do, which is get a sponsor and um, uh, work the steps. And, right. You know, but I found that uh, the steps can help you in ways not even connected to alcohol or anything like that. It felt good to talk about it, and as I mentioned earlier, after you have some space and you have some time under your belt, you don't talk about it as much. Right. Uh, if it can help somebody, yes. But, you know, when you first get clean, it's like the world is just like, oh, my God, it's a new world. And, and <laughs> you know, you're so excited. And then that wears off a little bit. So I don't talk about it very much. I didn't know we were going to talk about it until <laughs> earlier today. Uh, so I don't wear it on my sleeve as much. Sure. But... I do want to give back, and I do want to help, and if it uh, anybody ever wants. I'm not ashamed. I'm proud that I'm sober and clean. Yeah. Uh, I don't judge people if they use. Um, some people can do it, and there's nothing wrong with it, and other people can't, and I, I can't. You mentioned um, Music Cares was a big help to you. I'm just curious to know, as someone that's been in the industry for so long, is this something that people talk about with each other? Is it something that you feel like musicians can broach with each other, the idea of alcoholism, substance abuse, mental health? Well, they should if they don't. And there's a lot of rules, and it's funny, not funny, but weird ways you're supposed to deal with people who are having problems uh, without scaring them away. But I know that people who are in the program, it's it's like you've come home. I remember going to South by Southwest right a few months after I got out of treatment, and I walked into the a meeting there, and I saw people I didn't know were in the program, and they I felt like the prodigal son coming home. They were just hugging you, and like you know, you feel this connection. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Stare on the 
there it is. That was my conversation with Gary Lewis of the Jayhawks. What an honor to have him in my home, talking so openly about his life, his struggles, and of course, how it relates to making music, which is really what this podcast is all about. This has been another episode of The OK Show. I'll have another new one for you next week. Super excited to share this one. If you made it down to the Imagine Wellness event at the Minneapolis Institute of Art in April, you've already experienced this conversation. You know how incredible it was. It was with P.O.S., the rapper, the recovering kidney transplant patient, the member of Doomtree, the most charming man in Minneapolis, perhaps. We had just a delightful and raw and revealing and beautiful conversation and I can't wait to share it with you. So that'll be on next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you to The Current for giving me a platform to host these conversations. Thank you to Pierce Huxtable for production help on these conversations as well. And until next time, it's going to be okay. Okay.